Scripture reading today is actually two passages. Uh, first one is Zechariah 7, verses 8 through 12, and the second being Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46. Uh, if you need a Bible, we have one in the back, and in that Bible, um, it's on page 448. And the first one, the first one, Zechariah 7. And the word of the Lord came again to Zechariah. This is what the Lord Almighty said. Administer true justice, show mercy, and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. But they refused to pay attention. Stubbornly, they turned their backs and covered their ears. They made their hearts as hard as flint and would not listen to the law or to the words of the Lord Almighty, that the Lord Almighty had sent by his spirit through the earlier prophets. So the Lord Almighty was very angry. And the second one, Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep to his right and the goats to his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. And you didn't clothe, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and he came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did, we, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When, when did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Lucas. Uh, one announcement I don't think we covered in the announcements was just that uh, the children's ministry is planning some special things around Christmas time, and so like the week before and after, so please talk with Monique. I think the kids will be downstairs during the entire service. So we look forward to that. All right. Uh, we've been working through the word flourish in our series, Faith and Flourishing in Politics. Uh, and today we're finishing our acronym. We have one more week after this, just kind of concluding week. Uh, but this is sort of the, the final big reveal of what flourish stands for. And so I wanted to review. All right. F stands for faith, not fear, or faithful presence, how we engage in the public square. L is love God and neighbor. I'd even include in that enemies too. And these are all principles we can take to our world as we engage. O is other people's good, uh, talking about the shalom uh, and the common good. U, uh, understanding and wisdom, especially in setting policies. R, reign of Christ, Prioritizing the kingdom of God, I, the image of God, the Imago Dei, remembering that. Last week, Dick talked about speaking prophetically, and this week, we're talking about help the needy, H, help the needy. Uh, and so before we do that, let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity to jump into your word, to think about how we should engage with culture how we can be biblically faithful and yet, uh, yet present in the places that you've put us. 
God, I don't claim to have all the answers. I don't claim to have many, but your word can teach us, can show us the way to honor you. So we pray that today we would come one step closer to that as we think about how we engage with our world and helping the poor and needy. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. I think there's a connection between speak prophetically and help the needy, <laughs> between uh, S and H. There's this uh, Brazilian Catholic archbishop uh, who said this quote. He was sort of a, a prophet, a little bit of an activist. But he said this, when I give food to the poor, they call me a saint. When I ask why the poor have no food, they call me a communist. Helder Camara thought that was an interesting quote. It sort of helps us tie together this idea of speaking prophetically and helping the needy because they, there's a lot of overlap between these two. Because the Old Testament prophets, what did they do? They emphasized caring for the poor, the needy, and the most vulnerable over and over and over again. And actually, Israel and Judah's failure to do this, along with other sins like idolatry, one of the reasons God sent them into exile in the first place, sent them into captivity in Assyria and Babylon. So today we're looking at another prophet, and well, two prophets. The first, though, is Zechariah. Uh, Zechariah prophesies to the people of Judah, Jerusalem, the, northern, uh, the southern kingdom, as they return from exile, as they return from Babylon. So keep that in mind. The prophets before the exile speak against injustice. The prophets after the exile also speak against injustice. The, the message has not changed. Zechariah 7, 9 through 10 says this, Thus the Lord of hosts, thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. And let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. All right, so he puts out these categories of the people that are perhaps most at need in their culture, certainly, but even in our culture, right? Widows, orphans, aliens, sojourners, the poor. Right? And these are the kinds of people that God wants a just community, a just society to protect, to think about ways to provide for. And Zechariah backs this statement up with, well, teeth, <laughs> with teeth. Zechariah 7, 12. Uh, Zechariah's talking about, well, the Lord's talking about those that went into exile. He says, they made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts. Right, this message of justice came from the prophets, and the people hardened their heart because they liked their life. They liked the way they had things. And the, the judgment is, well, facing God's wrath. And this theme is continuing now, right, from before exile to after Exile. God's people need to be serious about taking care of the most vulnerable, the poor and needy in their circles, in their society. Now, when I was growing up, right, we all have different church experiences. My church experience really didn't talk much about this aspect of the prophets. 
the message of the prophets. There was not much of an emphasis on God's justice for the poor, the immigrant, the orphan, and the widow. Uh, I do know we cared about sort of vulnerable groups, right? We cared about abortion. My church uh, care, uh, cared about like the needy in our community and that we like did some food drives, often in our kind of church context. We did Thanksgiving meals. I remember like we would make the boxes that were all, they were nicely painted and I think our, our family got one of them one year. We did Christmas shoe boxes. I don't know if you're familiar with that, right? Where you pack up a shoe box, send it overseas to someone in need. I remember for a period of time, there was a, a family that did, I think it was, I don't know if it was called ESL, but we, they did like English classes for Spanish speakers in our community. Right? And so I, I do remember these good things happening. I think any of it, you could probably point to your church and see things of care for the community. But I didn't necessarily hear that connected with the prophets. I didn't really hear the same intensity as the prophets bring. This wasn't something that we talked about all that often. And I don't think this is uncommon among evangelical churches. I don't think this is something that we talk about often in churches like ours. And so I'm glad to be talking about it in uh, last week and in this week. But part of me wonders, like, why don't we emphasize this? If the prophets were so serious about it, is it because we believe in Jesus now? We've been forgiven, therefore we don't really need to worry about what the Old Testament prophets said? Is it because our ideologies, how we were raised, or our politics help us identify some groups that are needy while sort of ignoring other groups that are in just as much need? And I think that goes both ways, right? We all have those things that we like to support and those things that you know, we, we perhaps judge a little bit. But I think Jesus offers us a helpful corrective. Because I think Jesus is a prophet. And Jesus preaches and says the exact same thing as the Old Testament prophets. And so if we think that the Old Testament prophets' warnings don't apply to us as God's church as God's people, as our towns, our communities, maybe even our nation, I think we're missing something. I think we're not taking Jesus seriously. Apologize for this. Keep sliding down. I'll do my best here to keep my mask on. So here's the first kind of point that I want us to talk about. That Jesus will judge all people on how they care for the needy. Whew. Like, I'm just lowering the temperature today, right? No, it's raising the temperature as we encounter Jesus in his words in Matthew 25. In Matthew 25, we see something significant happen. Jesus warns like the prophets warns. And so often, we're quick to jump right to our individual selves, which I think is appropriate. But if we back up and look at the context of Matthew 25, what does Jesus first do? Jesus first gathers the nations, the ethnos, all the different ethnicities, all the different peoples, all the different groupings. He brings them together for that final judgment when Christ returns. Ethnos, of course, can mean Gentiles, right? There's this mixing of all sorts of different people. We see this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, 
Then he will sit on his glorious throne, and before him will be gathered all the nations. And he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Jesus will judge all nations, all people, and how well they care for the needy. Now, in and around ancient Palestine, there were uh, herds of sheep, herds of goats. Sometimes they mixed and flocked together, and you would, on occasion, need to separate them. And that's what we see Jesus doing, right? He separates, okay, the sheep go here. Goats go there. Sheep, goats. We've been reading a lot of, like, children's books to Evangeline, right? And a, a goat sounds like this, meh. And a sheep sounds like this, bah. Evangeline is learning the different sounds. There is something different to the way these two groups look and operate and sound. What is the difference? What separates a sheep from a goat? It's the same thing that separated God's people in the Old Testament, those who truly followed God and those that were perhaps cultural believers in the Old Testament. We see Jesus remind the nations. And I think this, I think there's like a, a bunch of different circles of ways that we can think about this, right? That we as a church, we as God's community, have responsibility to care for the needy. We perhaps as a larger community, a, a town, we have political or even national responsibility to address caring for the poor. How are we going to do this? Notice I haven't made any policy recommendations yet. I've just put forward a, a truth, a principle. We have to address how to care for the poor and needy and the most vulnerable, the widows, the orphans, the sojourners. Jesus continues, and he says, And, and he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king, Jesus is the king, will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So why do the, why do the sheep get to inherit the kingdom? For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Come, you who are blessed by my Father. I think Jesus' use of that word blessed is perhaps intentional, that he wants to recall his audience's mind to the blessing that he has given his people, but also the blessing that his people were supposed to be to the whole world. Remember Genesis 12, 1 through 3, I'm not going to put it up on the, on the screen, but God came, I think, do we sing about Abram, Abraham today? Right? God came to Abram, he renamed Abraham and said, I'm going to make you a blessing to the entire world. Those who bless you, I'll bless. And those who curse you, I'll curse. And you're going to, you're going to bless all the families of the earth. So if you're God's people, then you're a blessing. <laughs> you're going to be a spiritual blessing as you share the gospel, the good news about Jesus. But I also think you're going to be a practical blessing as you care for the poor and needy and the most vulnerable the neediest. And so what does Jesus, when he talks about, like, what does he mean by, by the, the kind of blessing, the kind of care that, that we're going to be? Well, we're going to provide for physical needs, food, drink, 
clothing, healthcare. And maybe some of you are familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? It's kind of that, those first levels, physiological and safety needs. We need to think about the vulnerable and the poor and the needy in our society. Think about how they can have basic food and water and clothing and health care for the sick. See, even before Jesus encourages political action, and notice Jesus never really does get to encouraging political action. He's simply challenging all these different levels of society. Jesus encourages us, the church, his people, to do the hands-on meeting of the needs of others. And how can we be hands-on doing the work of Christ? There are social and safety needs. Jesus talks about the stranger. That's the outsider, the stranger, the foreigner, the immigrant. The word for stranger here is the Greek word xenos, X. Maybe some of you are familiar with that. It means alien, foreigner. So when Jesus says, I was a stranger and you welcomed me, he's, taking, he's emphasizing like taking care of people from outside the community. Right? So if you're in Jerusalem, maybe this is Samaritans. Maybe this is Romans. Maybe this is people from other nations, from Egypt. And if you're in our community, it's who's on the outside? This church body of this town, of this community, this gathering of people who has a hard time breaking in. And then as we think about it as a national level, those in other countries. How can we be providing for the stranger in whatever setting they come to and whatever they look like? How can we be mindful of them? And he talks about restoration and justice needs. Those imprisoned, forgotten, and neglected. As you were in prison, I was in prison and you, and you visited me. It sort of scares me because like, I've never actually been to prison or been to a prison, right? I've never, never gone, never served there. I, the, the, the last time I can remember was in high school. Uh, you know, kudos to my church because uh, we went as part of our youth group and we visited a boys' home. Did not realize until afterwards that this was kind of like a high risk. It might have been a juvenile uh, detention center of some sort. We went there for Christmas, gave them Christmas gifts, just spent time with them. And I just remember them being like so broken and so like tender and just wanting hugs. And we weren't supposed to give them the hugs, but there was hugs that happened anyways. Right? Those imprisoned, those forgotten. I think this carrot, this applies to those in our culture that society forgets, the elderly, the homebound, right? those in hospitals that have to be on care 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and are left there by their families. There, there are those in Boston Children's Hospital. How can we be caring for them? So we see Jesus' call to care for the physical needs, social and safety needs, restoration and justice needs of the least of these. <laughs> it's a bit overwhelming. I was thinking of, you know, I encountered a lot of stories in my studies as part of my doctorate of ministry, but uh, I liked this one, and I hope no one will be 
turned off by this, but I think it's a good illustration, and that's uh, President Jimmy Carter. And I talked about other presidents in this series, uh, but one of his passions was caring for the poor and needy, and has continued to be caring for the poor and needy. After his um, presidential candidate acceptance speech at the Democratic Convention, he went to his church, <laughs> and he taught Sunday school at his home church, right? Like, don't really hear about that happening anymore, a presidential candidate just teaching Sunday school. Uh, and a reporter was there, of course, to write a story about what he said in the class. And Carter went through his speech point by point by point. And in his speech, he had expressed a concern for the poor. The reason for this, Carter explained to his class, is that the Bible says God is concerned for the oppressed and the outcast. So here we encounter a believer who goes into public service to care for the poor and needy. That's one expression of a way that we can do this. Jimmy Carter continues to volunteer for Habitat for Humanity. Uh, he's reached 35 builds as of 2018. And he actually might be the reason for Habitat for Humanity being so well known. Because when he was president, he went to a Habitat for Humanity build and participated. And it, it really grew after that. And I watched this brief video on it, but he... He said when he finishes a house, he gives the homeowners the key to their home and a Bible. That's what he still does. Jesus will judge nations on how well they care for the needy. He will judge all people. Jesus calls us to care for the needy. Jesus identifies with the needy. Jesus identifies himself with the poor and needy. There's, there's people that Jesus identifies himself with throughout his ministry, right, with his heavenly father, with his Jewish brothers and sisters, with his disciples, who are his true brothers and sisters, but also with the poor, the needy, the most vulnerable. Everyone we just read about, Jesus identifies himself with them. And he doesn't do it just once. He does it multiple times in this passage. Matthew 25, 37 through 40 says this, Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. To serve the poor is to serve Jesus. This does not mean to serve other people that aren't poor isn't to serve Jesus. I don't want to create like a hierarchy of good things to do. But Jesus goes out of his way to say, like, you cared for me. Now, there is some debate in this passage when Jesus says, the least of these my brothers, who's he referring to? Is he referring to, well, just when you, like, Christians took care of fellow Christians, my brothers and sisters, my fellow disciples, you took care of me? That's a reasonable argument from Scripture. But I think we need to be careful that you know, if we read this passage and think to ourselves, you know, like, I'm trying to narrow down the people that Jesus calls me to serve, then we're, we're missing the point of the story, right? The, good, the story of the Good Samaritan is not for us to ask, well, who is my neighbor? So really, who do I have to take care of? The point of the story is to say, like, those we don't expect are our neighbor, the people that we're supposed to care for, provide for. 
And we as a church have served at Living Waters uh, in Lowell a, a couple times. It's been a little while. Uh, but one of the things I was struck by when we engaged with them and when I had some conversations with, with uh, some homeless people was, or just very needy people, that many of them express faith in Christ. Right? Many of them express some sort of trust in God and, and prayer. Right? And so if we're thinking, well, I can just look around and see who's my brother and who's not my brother, well, I think we're wrong. I think more people are our brothers than we would expect, especially among the poor and the needy. And yet, I do think there's a little bit of an emphasis here that Jesus is directing his followers to make sure that they take care of the church, their brothers and sisters. I think if we look elsewhere in Scripture, it helps clarify that. If we look to Paul, Galatians 6.10 says this, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. Right? So let's make sure we take care of our church family, because if we're, we can't be faithful with this little thing, how can we be faithful with a big thing? Right? And it's one of the reasons we have a benevolence fund that our deacons run. Or if you're in a tight spot, and you can ask for help with utilities, medical bills, mental health needs, other needs. And I've also experienced other ways outside of the benevolence fund that perhaps are more organic when we just you know, show up with a meal to someone who's in need. And I've seen that happen over and over and over again in Cornerstone, and I felt that. You know, when I needed to go to Colorado because my dad got sick with COVID, right, I had to leave town pretty abruptly. Our family received meals. Our family received a mowed lawn. <laughs> our family received a car ride to the airport, all from our church family. That's really good. That's <laughs> what Jesus calls us to do. We were in a time of need. I wouldn't put us in the category of poor and vulnerable, but... Certainly, we needed help, and I saw the church family come together. So we, as the community of God's people, continue to do this because we see Jesus in our brothers and sisters in Christ, and Jesus identifies himself with the poor and the needy. Reading in the second half, then he will say those, to those on his left, depart from me. So he's speaking to the goats. You cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, for I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me to a drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in person, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. I think it's interesting that Jesus doesn't say, you didn't do it to one of the least of these, my brothers. You just didn't do it. <laughs> right? Jesus is, is saying that like, they have responsibility for those who are around them. Whether or not they're a part of the same group. Jesus casts a very wide net of responsibility. And it's intimidating. <laughs> But he says that if you care for the least of these, you've actually cared for the greatest of all. You've cared for me. You've cared for the king of kings. I don't think Jesus is just saying like a nice sort of platitude here. 
You know, if you love the most vulnerable, you've loved me. I think if we take a moment and we look at Jesus' life, we see that Jesus identifies with each and every one of these categories that he talks about. See, Jesus was hungry at different points in his life. At the start of his ministry, he fasted from food for 40 days. He knew what it was like to be near starvation. If Satan wouldn't have tempted him with bread if it wasn't a real temptation. Jesus became hungry so that he could feed us, so that he could feed us with his body and his blood and communion. Jesus was thirsty. On the cross, Jesus literally said, I thirst. And then he gave up his spirit. One of the last things he said He became thirsty so that you and I could drink of the living water and never thirst again. Jesus was a stranger. Remember when Herod tried to kill Jesus? What happened? Joseph and Mary took him and they fled into the night as refugees to Egypt. Jesus was an immigrant, an alien, a foreigner. Jesus actually went into exile so that he could bring us home, right? He left the glories of heaven, stepped down into our sort of mundane, dirty, simple, broken existence, the perfect son, in order that we could return home and no longer be considered strangers of God. Jesus was naked. Jesus was stripped of his garments and probably naked, Crucifixion. The Roman soldiers were not interested in modesty. Some make an argument that he was clothed in some way, perhaps. The point is, he was stripped at least of his outer garment. He was shamed. There's this beautiful passage in Zechariah about this priest named Joshua being being clothed with white garments. Jesus was disrobed so that we could be robed with the righteousness of God. Jesus was sick. They flogged Jesus. They abused Jesus. They spit on him. Isaiah 53, 5 says, He was crushed for our iniquities, and with his wounds we are healed. Jesus, you became hungry for me? You became thirsty for me? You became a stranger for me, Jesus? You became naked and sick for me? Jesus, you were led away, imprisoned, and crucified, nails driven through your hands and your feet, a spear thrust into your side so that I could be set free? Jesus, what have you done for me? Jesus, when I look at everything that you have done for me, how can I not want but to help care for those who are hungry and thirsty and strangers and naked and sick and imprisoned? You set Barabbas free. When you went to the cross, and you've set me free. When Jesus identifies himself, says, when you serve this people, you've served me, he's not just saying something nice. He's being serious. And those who ignore these people will face God's wrath. Jesus will judge all people how well they care for the needy. Jesus identifies himself with the poor and needy. 
So here's my problem. <laughs> and I'm gonna, I'm gonna critique both sides. See, some of those that hold sort of the liberal politics and theology and the two often mesh, when they read Matthew 25, they downplay God's judgment. See, we're supposed to take care of the poor. And, I, and I've seen this in my studies, but uh, let's not talk about God's hellfire. Let's not talk about wrath. That's not fun. We don't really believe in hell. That's not right. That neuters the motivation to do good. On the other side, I get some frustrated with some that are conservative in their politics and theology because when they read Matthew 25, they downplay that Jesus meant what he meant, <laughs> that he meant what he said. Right? They were like, well, we're, actually, we're saved by grace. We're saved by grace. We're not saved by works, and so we don't want to assume that you're saved by, by doing good to the least of these. And unintentionally, they also neuter Jesus' words and the fire in his voice. See, I think the best understanding of Matthew 25 holds the two in tension. Jesus is serious about what he said, and he's overflowing with grace. And it's that grace and that seriousness that challenges us and changes us and motivates us to, to do good. See, Jesus' grace helps us, moves us to help the needy. Careful reading of this passage. Matthew 25, verse 37 and 40, say this. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? Well, what are they expressing here? They're expressing astonishment, surprise. They don't remember helping Jesus. They don't remember helping the poor and the needy. And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And if we were to read the second half again, we'd see the goats are surprised too. Right? They're surprised that they haven't taken care of Jesus. I think this is a, like a reminder that Jesus puts in that even on our best day, when we, we, we care for the needy, when we care for the poor, one day we will stand before the throne and we will realize it's all garbage. <laughs> it's not all garbage, but it's like it, it, it gets us nowhere closer to salvation. It doesn't earn us a spot. And there are going to be some who are going to stand before the throne and say, look at all I've done. Look at all the people that I've cared for, all the, pro the poor that I provided for, and look at my, my social justice record. And Jesus will say, that was great. You did that for you. You didn't do that for me. And there will be other of us who are just like so overwhelmed, like, man, I, I feel like I did nothing. And Jesus will take like those things that we did do and say, wow, I'm going to count those as if they are done unto me. Right? There's grace even as there's the fire of Jesus' words. And so this should be transformative, right? Now I'm saved by God's grace. I won't even know I've done good things. Therefore, let's go do the good things. Let this motivate us. Let this drive us. Let's, let's take Jesus' words seriously. Let's not disempower his words Let's feel them the way that he said them. So how does this connect to politics and voting? Well, when you think about a ballot issue or a candidate, remember the poor and needy. Try to seek their best. 
And God will judge our hearts. God will know our motivations, right? If we, you know, we can go to the ballot and just say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm seeking to preserve myself and my own and my group. It's not the right way to go to the ballot box. But Jesus will also know if we go to the ballot box out of a sense of self-righteousness. Oh, look at me. <laughs> I really care about the poor. I really care about the needy and not those other people. Jesus will not be impressed with that either. He wants to change our hearts. He doesn't want our hearts to be diamond hard, like Zechariah said. He wants to change our motives. I'm going to say this, and I believe that if we go and we engage in politics, voting, ballot box, whatever, and we genuinely try to honor God in that, try to seek the best of the poor and needy in our neighbor, even if we vote the wrong way, and do something that actually doesn't end up helping, I think God can still be honored in that effort. Obviously, we want to get it right, but we're fallen and we're broken and we're not always going to get it right. We have to remember that when it comes to the poor and needy, there's no quick fixes. Right? Many of us probably, you know, if, if it is a politics issue, right, we read like the one side and the other side. If we're really good, we go to the website and we check it out. But really caring for the needy takes so much understanding and wisdom, right? The Bible doesn't mandate policies. It just says, here's what God's standard of biblical justice is. Use your wisdom. Follow the Holy Spirit. Is it a social safety net? Is it better jobs? Is it some other solution or combination? Use your wisdom. Figure it out. Different Christians will be convicted in different ways. But God wants us to be united with the same purpose, helping and caring for the least of these. See, Jesus' grace moves us to help the needy, and so let's be Matthew 25 Christians who help the needy. It's like my final point. Let's just be Matthew 25 Christians, right? Let's, let's be the Christians that, that take Jesus' story about the sheep and the goat seriously. What I like about H, help the needy, is like it's the accumulation of our entire series, right? We have to walk by faith and not fear if we're going to try to help people. We have to try to practice faithful presence, like caring for those people around us that we are proximate to, that are in our circles, front lines. Our desire is to honor the image of God in all people, to treat them with dignity, to respect and respect our desire is to seek the shalom, the harmony, the well-being, the common good of our city. That's people at the very top of society to the very bottom of society. We want them to flourish, to work together. We want to hear the prophet's call, the prophet's rebuke, to care for the poor and needy. And it takes wisdom to do so well. You know, as part of my studies, I read the testimony of one self-described liberal evangelical, Jim Wallace, maybe some of you are familiar with him, learners. He grew up in a church in Detroit. Uh, but when he grew concerned for the poor and needy, especially the marginalized black people in his community, he went and talked to his church about it, and they wouldn't do anything about it. They didn't take it seriously. Like, that's not our responsibility. And it was that day when he emotionally checked out of the church, right? If, if God's people don't care about the most vulnerable, then I don't want to be a part of God's people. He tried a lot of other things. He was an activist, very successful activist. 
And he did a lot of reading. He read through other activists and revolutionaries. But he found that they all fell short because none of them had that spiritual foundation, that spiritual and biblical like truth foundation of why we care for the poor and needy. Because the poor and needy are made in God's image. The poor and needy are on God's heart. And what brought Wallace back to Christianity, back to faith in Jesus, was not a church. It was not evangelism. He read through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and that began to like flip his perspective. Oh, Jesus is really interested in the sort of upside-down kingdom. But it wasn't until he read Matthew 25, the story of the sheep and the goats, that that brought him home to Jesus. When he saw Jesus' heart for the poor and the needy, he fell in love with Jesus. This is the kind of Savior he wanted to follow. He wanted to be a Matthew 25 kind of Christian. I want to be a Matthew 25 kind of Christian too. I want our church to be that, and I think we're on our way. And that means helping in hands-on ministry. That means thinking critically about how to do that in politics. There's no easy answers there. But I hope you want to do that too and that you'll join me on this journey. Let's pray. Lord, open our eyes. Open our eyes to the poor, the needy, the most vulnerable in our community, in our context that we can care for, that we can provide for. Lord, if that's living waters, then get us back there. And if that's a family or two this Christmas, I know we've done things in the past to, to care for those in need. Would you, would you help us do that? To take your word seriously, because we know that when we serve those who are at risk, we're serving you, the King of Kings. We want to serve you, Jesus, like that moves our hearts. Lord, it's not easy to know how to engage in politics with this principle in mind. We talked about in Christian Ed, Lord, that just like we don't want to throw money at problems. We really want to find solutions, Lord. And so help us do that. Give us your wisdom, your understanding, but also give us your heart. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.